And welcome, everybody, to another special edition of Options Action. I am a slightly less weepy Brian Sullivan. Thanks for sticking with us. Hope you're having as, as good of a Friday as you possibly can out there. And most importantly, staying safe and, like us, staying at home. All right, another wild week, certainly, in the markets. We started off promising, ended the, the week down. In fact, the Dow falling again today, 360 points. All in all, not that bad considering the massive unemployment number that we got yesterday and the monthly payroll numbers today. Of course, coronavirus, the pandemic, and its impact on the economy and the markets on everybody watching CNBC's Mind. And that is why we're here and we've got a great lineup for you. Mike Coe, Tony Zhang, and Carter Worth. But before we get to those gentlemen, let's talk about something that everybody wants to hear about. Some kind of treatment or vaccine for COVID-19. Biotech companies scrambling everywhere to come up with something. Let's get the very latest on where we stand. And for that, who else but Meg Terrell. Meg. Hey, Brian. Well, the number of biotech companies working on this problem grows by the day. Uh, Let's give you an update on the timelines for a vaccine. We got an update, actually, from Moderna's chairman yesterday. That, of course, uh, is the lead program with the candidate vaccine already in human testing. He told us yesterday, if all goes well, they could be aiming to start phase two trials by spring or early summer. So we're talking May or June there. J&J also gave us an update on its vaccine program this week, saying it aims to start phase one in September. And if things go well there, it could even have something ready potentially for deployment in early 2021. Now, these are record-breaking timelines, Brian. Pfizer is working with a biotech company called BioNTech on a vaccine. Sanofi also in the race, many others as well. Now, let's talk about drugs because those are going to be available sooner. Companies are working to repurpose existing drugs uh, to potentially treat the novel coronavirus. And we're going to get some data this month from Gilead and Regeneron. Gilead, of course, on its antiviral drug remdesivir and Regeneron on the rheumatoid arthritis drug called Kevzara that it's been testing in the severe patients with that inflammatory lung response that happens in those severe cases. Um, We've also heard Roche is starting trials with a similar approach with its drug. And Insight and Novartis just announced yesterday they're going to be testing their drug Jacify uh, for that same condition. Now, companies are also developing new drugs. And there, we'll tell you about Regeneron, Veer, Amgen, Takeda, and Eli Lilly. All of these companies using antibody approaches. And Regeneron has put a timeline of hopefully starting human clinical trials with a brand new drug it's creating uh, by early summer, Brian. But really, the nearest term data points to look for are going to be in just a few weeks from Gilead and Regeneron on those trials we told you about. A lot of hope there. We know you'd be all over it, but we just want the results to be good. Everybody needs that. Meg Terrell, you have a great weekend to you and your family. All the best. Stay healthy and safe. Okay, Meg? All right, we've got some breaking news right now on banks, I believe it is, with Wilfred Frost. Wilf, what do you got for us? Hey, Brian. So uh, earlier at about 2 p.m., we came on with some uh, updated numbers from Bank of America in terms of uh, how many and the size of the applications for the Paycheck Protection Program, small business loan program that they'd received. At 2 p.m., they'd received $6 billion worth of requests for loans. The number as of now is 22 $0.2 billion worth. That is from one bank in one day from when they opened the application process at 9 a.m. this morning. In total, 85,000 applications totaling $22.2 billion. It is an astonishing amount of requests. Don't forget the size of the total package that Congress has allocated uh, is $350 billion. I mean, you could chop this up in any which way, but I'll do it this way, Brian. Uh, bank of America have over 2 million small business clients, just 85,000 of them have requested 
billion again, just one bank. Now, maybe all of the other clients don't so, need a loan, but one would expect quite a few still would and just haven't made their requests yet. I mean, Wilf, listen, I don't want to assume anything, but if you just do the math that you laid out, okay, it is conceivable, not impossible, that Bank of America's clients alone could hit that $350 billion number based on the percentages you just get. One bank could hit the total fund. If the rest of the uh, 2 million clients require as much as the first 85,000 have. So, I mean, we're kind of guessing there, Brian, but yes, clearly this is an astonishing amount for a single bank to receive in a single day. Uh, And given that there are 5,000 FDIC-insured banks across America, that 350 billion figure sounds like it won't be big enough, but, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But this is a huge request. It doesn't mean this money has gone out of the door yet, uh, of course, but uh, one would assume these uh, applications will, will get met in, uh, in due course. But just a huge number to put out there, uh, $22 billion of requests, 85,000 individual requests in total uh, for just one bank in one day. Uh, truly stunning numbers. and like, But Secretary Mnuchin said if they have to go back to Congress and ask for more, they might. It looks like yeah, and, they and might have to. Just one Brian, bank. Speaker well, Pelosi, yeah. of course, uh, said that they would do that as well. So both sides of the aisle uh, willing to, to increase that. They agree on something. It's amazing. Wilford Frost, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, now let's go back to options action. All right, Mike Coe, you heard Meg talk about some of these companies. They're, they're working their you-know-what's off to try to get some kind of vaccine. There's an options trade on one of these. What do you got? Yeah, so, you know, this is an interesting situation that we have here because the names that she was talking about, the ones that everybody realizes are probably the ones that are sort of leading the pack, if you will, on developing a vaccine, some kind of a treatment. A lot of those stocks unsurprisingly, are some of the better performing stocks that we've seen since this the COVID-19 thing really sort of hit stocks. I'm going to use February 19th, the all-time high for the S&P, sort of as the benchmark turning point for the market to represent that. I was looking at Moderna, and of course, this is one of those stocks that is currently trading at all-time highs. So if you're an options trader and you're thinking, okay, what do I do here? Do I really want to chase this thing? We have all-time highs in the stock price, and obviously options premiums are also extremely elevated, what to do? Well, one of the things you could do is try to take advantage of that elevated premium. I was looking out to May. You could sell the 30-28 May put spread and collect about 80 cents. So that's a $2 wide put spread. You're going to collect 40% of the distance between the spread. Bear in mind that the stock was trading just under $35 as of the close today. So the put that you're selling, that 30-strike put, is well below the current stock price. That's kind of the idea here, because if you're going to try to collect premium by selling puts, you want to make sure that you're not necessarily selling a strike that's very close to the current stock price, because it is elevated. So this is a situation where you would be put the stock at 30 but, of course, we're buying that 28-strike put as protection against it. Now, bear in mind that 28 is essentially where the highs of this stock was before any of this. So if we go back a, a year or so, this, IP, you know, this stock IPO'd, I think, in late 2018. $28 is pretty close to the highs that we saw post-IPO. So essentially, you would be you know, protecting yourself in case it breaks below that level. The idea here is take advantage of the elevated premium. Try not to chase stocks where there's a lot of good news baked in already, and this is one of them, and try to take advantage of what the market's giving you and, and not get caught 
being, basically being stuffed with the things that you don't like about where prices are currently. Okay, Mike, good stuff there. Tony and Carter, sit tight for a second, guys. We are going to get to you in just a second, but we have even more breaking news, this time on Berkshire Hathaway. And, of course, who's going to bring us that news but our friend, Becky Quick. Becky, good to chat with you. What do you got? Hey, Brian, it's good to see you. There's just some news out that Berkshire Hathaway is selling some of its stock in some of the airlines. Now, this is something that people have been wondering, what would Berkshire Hathaway do? Because it owned just about 10 percent stake in all of the major airlines, United, Delta, Southwest uh, and American. The news out is just from an SEC filing. Now, it says right now that they did sell both Delta and uh, Southwest shares. It was enough to take them from above 10 percent to just below 10 percent. And, you know, there's not a lot of questions that are answered in this. It does raise probably more questions than it answers on any of these things. All we know is that they sold enough of Delta and enough of, of Southwest to bring them below that 10 percent threshold. The reason that you're seeing an SEC filing on this is that anytime you own more than 10 percent of a company, you have to tell within a couple of days, I think there's a two-day period, that you have to go ahead and say, we are selling this or we are buying this at this point if you own more than 10 percent. If you don't own 10 percent, then you are not obliged to tell anybody anything until that 45 day after the uh, after the quarter closes. So we don't know what they're doing with the other major airlines that they own. And we don't know uh, what's going to happen after this. What I will say is now that we've gotten this, you're not going to know if they sell below that, because once they go below 10 percent, they don't have to say anything. Uh, we did put a call into Berkshire Hathaway. The office has no comment on anything that's coming out on this. Um, but they don't have oh. to report again until another 45 days after the close of the quarter. So I think we probably won't be seeing more SEC filings until about May 15th. Warren Buffett has said that he's not going to be speaking publicly until the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. That's not coming up until the beginning of May, a Saturday on the beginning of the May. It's first Saturday in May. I think the date's May 2nd. I'm not really sure. But we're not going to know what he's doing between now and then because he said he's not going to be speaking publicly between now and then. So that raises probably, again, more questions than it answers at this point. But that's what I can tell you right now. Big news moving the stocks. Becky, I got a lot of questions for you and not a lot of time. So first off, is the, is the, is the annual meeting still on in person or has that already been moved to virtual? Secondly, um, you know, a lot of Warren's businesses and Berkshire's businesses are consumer facing. Have you had any more insight into sort of the, the total impact it might have on Berkshire Hathaway's business? Uh, first up, let me just tell you, uh, the meeting is going to be a virtual meeting at this point. They had been hoping to keep it open for shareholders, but uh, it, the, the, the writing was on the wall. It became clearer and clearer as all these other events got canceled and it moved out. So it, they will still be holding the meeting. Um, at this point, my guess is that Warren Buffett, maybe Charlie Munger will be there. I don't know how many of the board of directors members will be there. It could be none of them. Uh, but a virtual meeting that everybody else can weigh in on, and it's going to be carried live. Now, at this point, I, I think at least some of the reporters there uh, would, would still be asking questions. At least that's what we've heard at this point. But there's not a clear format about how any of that's going to work it, uh, its way out. But we will be hearing from the Oracle of Omaha at that annual meeting. My expectation is there will be live questions asked from shareholders that day. Um, and then hopefully we get more answers from him all around that time. Um, in terms of the consumer-facing businesses, you're right. Uh, you start thinking through uh, net jets, okay? They, they can't have any flights that are really taking off and going on any of these things. You think of all of the yeah. shopping, the retail outlets that they have, those have all been closed down across the board, just about everything. Berkshire's going to be feeling the shutdown just like everybody else is, all the way through to things like the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad, not carrying as much stuff. Maybe they're carrying some things, but probably not the same amount that we've seen to this point. Um, Brian, are you at home right now? Yeah. I just turned on the I am. Too. This is the awesome thing about having cameras on us all of the time. This is the first time ever I'm doing this in my pajamas. 
That's you know that's okay. I gotta be honest. That's I'm using that shower right there. I just and a gonna be a day where I forget here. to turn off the camera, and I just I just want to be very clear. And, to, and by the and, and by the way, in about three weeks, I'm gonna have a full on mullet, and I don't care. I'm gonna wear jean shorts, drink a Schlitz, no, and have a mullet, and it's gonna be. To be great. I mean, the great thing is, Becky. I jumped on. I literally saw this news about a minute and a half ago. I had my pajamas on already because that's what you do at this time of day, right? Uh, you don't have any idea. I'm not standing up. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's going to leave it at that. <laughs> Becky, Becky, quick. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Best to you and everybody. You. All right, we're going to take a short break on options action, talk about Nike and managing the volatility there. Stick around. Welcome back to Options Action. I'm Phil LeBeau. Some breaking news on United Airlines. The company has just filed an 8K. We're not going to go through all of it, but there is one bullet point of news in here that gives you a sense of just how bad things are for the airlines. United says that its projection at this point is that revenue in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter of this year, will be down 30%. Brian, I'll send it back to you. And a glimpse of what the future holds for the airlines as they see it right now. Yeah, I mean, wow, a double dose of news on the airlines from Phil and then Becky before the break. Really, just the news just continues to just, it's unbelievable, actually. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. All right, now let's turn back to options action. We've had a lot of breaking news over the last five minutes or so, certainly big news here. Let's talk about Nike because obviously sales are down. Retailers everywhere that might sell Nike shoes, they have been forced to close their doors. Mall traffic is pretty much all but non-existent. So let's talk about Nike and maybe the best way to play this stock Tony Zhang, you have got an options trade on Nike that might help owners of it, I guess, manage through the volatility. What is it, my friend? Yeah, so I'm looking at fading some of the strong names in this sector. So if we take a look at Nike, this is one of the strongest stocks. It's retraced 50% of the initial sell-off and bounced lower from that $87 resistance level. And its relative strength has continued to fade alongside with consumer discretionary, which is one of the weakest sectors right now. So I expect Nike to trade lower back into that $60 to $70 range. And if we look at some of the consumer data, we've seen the largest two-week decline of consumer sentiment Um, in history, which is in line with most of the economic data we're currently looking at. So if we look at Bank of America credit card data, uh, clothing spending is down 65% year to year. So this is really going to provide strong downside protection on stocks like Nike over the next few weeks. So the trade that I'm looking to do here is not typical in a strong volatility, in a high volatility environment, but because Nike is actually trading at a fairly reasonable implied volatility, I'm going out to May and I'm buying a put debit spread here. I'm looking out to May and buying the $80 puts and spending about $6.50 and selling the May 62 and a half puts and collecting about a dollar fifty against that, paying five dollars for that debit. And the break-even price on this particular stock is only $75. So the stock only has to move about $3 lower over the next month and a half in order for this strategy to be profitable. All right, Tony, Tony, thank you very much. Carter Worth, we're going to finally bring in here, buddy. What do you think of Tony's trade? What do you think of Nike fundamentally or technically? You know, what's interesting, if you look at the entire consumer discretionary space. There are only two stocks that are up, of course. And if you look at Nike, it is handily outperformed both Puma and Adidas. And I think ultimately it will catch up with those two on the downside. So I'm, I'm with Tony all the way here. And uh, he's targeting a level where there's an unfilled gap from uh, just a week or so ago to the downside. That's the play. Mike? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that Tony was referencing was the fact that implied volatility on Nike isn't exorbitant, one of the reasons that he was willing to buy premium to put this on. But, of course, the reason that he's using a spread is to help mitigate that. That makes sense for not only mitigating the cost of the spread itself, but also because although the stock is maybe stronger than it should have been, all of the points that he was making, I think, are good ones on that. The fact is the stock is still well off of its all-time highs. So when you're using a spread, you're saying, okay, some of the damage has already been done. Here is basically the magnitude of the further damage that I think could happen between now and May expiration. So using a spread, I think, makes sense for both of those reasons. Okay, looking at Nike. Now let's talk about a pure play retailer. In fact, one that that might be a good play and a good defensive play, even in this market environment. The stock has been doing well. Mike Coe, let's stick with you. Let's talk about Dollar General. I guess generally viewed as a recession play. What do you think the trade here might be? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, this is uh, an interesting situation, Dollar General, because this is one of the stocks, I think, that Carter had been discussing and had, uh, had mentioned that he thought it was probably a defensive type of a play in this situation. And, you know, I'm sort of inclined to agree with that. I think the trade that we should use here is a call spread risk reversal. The call spread risk reversal I was looking at was the June 145, 165, 185 call spread risk reversal. So in the 165, 185 call spread, selling the 145 puts to help finance that. In this instance, it was trading for very close to even. So you would actually collect about 50 cents at the closing prices that I was looking at. What that means is you're going to get participation from 165 to 185. But in the downside, if the stock should trade lower, and I was looking actually very close to the lows that we saw right when the market rolled over and we saw the worst in March uh, of 145, that's basically where the stock was sort of bottoming out. I think it hit about 140. That's essentially where you would get long the stock. The idea here is you get upside participation you get a buffer to the downside. And that's basically, I think, one of the things you want to take a look at, where stocks you like might see further downdrafts if we get further weakness in the markets. And Carter Worth, this is one of your ideas as well, DG. Well, it's all about defense at certain moments. This stock, just to be as blunt as possible, is outperforming Walmart, which is one of the most defensive securities in the marketplace. And what we also know, and there's several stats to look at, it's beta is much better in terms of uh, being low relative to staples and ETFs. You see that there on the screen. But also, its performance year to date, there are only two stocks in the entire consumer discretionary sector, if you look at the chart going up, um, that are up. And the other one, the only other one, is Amazon. Now, this is uh, this is an important defensive play and What I would also point out, and you'll look at the next chart coming forward, is that this has been in a solid uptrend for the better part of four years, and it is not cracked the way the market is cracked. Indeed, on a relative strength basis, it is making new uh, all-time highs as we speak. So this is uh, a setup that I think ultimately offers both upside uh, as well as downside protection, and it is something that is basically not really on the radar screen when one thinks of consumer discretion. And again, to be as defensive as Walmart without the grocery exposure is an important circumstance. So Dollar General would like to the upside ultimately for a breakout. Tony Zhang, your take on the Dollar General trade that Mike and Carter just talked about. 
So firstly, I really like the options trade because Mike has found a really inexpensive way to play for that upside while giving you the opportunity to own the stock about 10% lower. But the stock itself, I really like this because Dollar General was able to capture a lot of the stocking up that consumers did right before the lockdown. And historically, the stock is very strong going into a recession, which is where we're heading. And it's one of the few discount retailers that are currently investing in a digital strategy. So all around, a clear winner in this particular space. And as unemployment rises over the next few months, consumers are going to become more price sensitive. And Dollar General, I think, is well positioned for all of that. All right. Good stuff, guys. Looking at Dollar General. All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to try to keep a semblance of normalcy here. You have questions. Our traders have answers. We'll take a couple of them for you. Ask the traders coming up next right here on Options Action. You're watching CNBC, the worldwide leader in business. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now to take some of your questions. We got time for one question. Mike Co, I'll send it to you. It's a very basic one, which is with most money managers recommending or saying stocks will be higher 12 months from now, do you recommend long dated options out to January of 2022? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. The implied volatility on longer dated options has risen as well as the shorter dated ones, but not by quite as much. And the fact is, there is going to be elevated volatility, I think, for some time. So if you're looking for a way to manage your risk and take a longer-term bullish view, I think purchasing longer-term options is a good way to go. But I would consider selling some near-dated ones against it to help offset some decay. All right, good short answer there. We appreciate the question. Let's take another quick short break. We'll be back to wrap it up here on Options Action. It was a wild week. Dow down 360, ending the week down just about 3%. And we're back with more right after this. Got 30 seconds left in the show. I got three quick things. Number one, Delta Airlines stock. You're Becky on the news. Berkshire selling some of its uh, airline holdings. Delta Airlines right now is down 9.5%. Second thing is that we're going to see you in two weeks. You got Good Friday. The market is closed next Friday, so we'll be here in two weeks. And most importantly, if you missed it earlier, a happy 50th wedding anniversary to the two people I care about the most, my mom and my dad down in Winchester, Virginia. I wish I could be with you on your 50th anniversary tomorrow, but I can't. I love you both. Thanks for having me. Everybody out there, be well. Mad with Jim starts right now. Take care.